Today's episode of the Rider Flex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Truman's, a company that's taking the clutter out of cleaning. Seriously, have you ever noticed the hundreds of single-use cleaning bottles filled with toxic ingredients at the store? Well, Truman's is fixing all of that with a lineup of non-toxic cleaners and refill cartridges. Check them out at Truman's.com. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest John Bostock. He's been on the show before, and I invited him back to chat with us about his new book, The Elephant's Dilemma, Break Free and Reimagine Your Future at Work. His book's available on Amazon. And John, of course, is also the co-founder and CEO of Truman's. It's a non-toxic and zero-waste cleaning company, and you can learn more about them at Truman's.com. All right, man. Um, okay. Let me just uh, check in everything here. It looks good. You, got, you know, you're just such a handsome guy. Oh, stop, you're, man. You're, you're making me look bad. Oh, come on. <laughs> I look tired today. Now, John Bostock on the Rider Flex podcast for the second time. Hi, John. Hey, Steve. It's awesome to be back. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Uh, you're, by the way, one of the most listened to. Uh, guests from the first round. We've done over a hundred guests now on the Rider Flex podcast, believe it or not. It's unreal. You know, you and I had such a good conversation last time and we've really gotten to know each other uh, so well over the past year. I think I, I enjoy just sharing notes with you back and forth. But what's interesting is I was starting my book during the first conversation you and I had. That's right. And we talked about something that we'll have to touch on in this conversation because Something in our conversation actually sparked one of the key concepts in the entire book. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. I love that. All right, very good. So for the listeners, before we get into the book, real quick, um, just, a, just a, another short, brief John Bostock, who am I, uh, overview, a little bit about Truman's, and kind of ch just a little overview there. I want to touch on that before we get into the book details, and then I'll hit you with all kinds of questions about the book. Go for it. Yeah, so I'm just a normal dad living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I happen to be a former GE executive. I worked for a company with a really crazy name called Big Ass Fans. If you've ever been in an airport, looked overhead and saw a really big fan, that was us. So I went in, restructured that company, sold it. And then uh, after that, took a huge leap and started a company called Truman's. And we are a a cleaning company. We sell cleaning products, branded products direct to consumer. And we're really flipping the industry on its head. What we looked at and saw was that most cleaning products that are shipped to your home or sitting on the retail shelf are 98% water. So we thought there had to have been a better way to do it. And we built the company uh, with a simple idea that we just, we ship the concentrate. We ship what you actually want. And uh, that creates an incredible efficiency in the entire supply chain. Yeah, for the listeners, you know, go to Truman's.com, check, check it out. I never thought about it until we, until we, you know, did that first interview. It just never dawned on me, like the plastics, the bottles, the, the fact that they're shipping 90, what is it, 90% water and 10% yeah, clean? I can't remember. Not up to 98%. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get the concentrates from Truman. Uh, they come in, you, you mix it yourself. Not only are you using a great product, and helping build a really cool brand, but you know, you're doing great things for the environment, sustainability, et cetera. So check them out at Truman's.com. John is the co-founder and CEO there. 
uh, with his partner, Alex, right? We call That's right. Alex. I, but you guys do a great job on your social media, by the way. Really, just excellent. I love, I, I love all the- it is is I just pick on him all day long. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I just I figured out if I pick on him in real life, uh, I can extend it to social, and it works. So it's great. It, it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. You, I, I watch it all the time. Uh, sometimes I respond. I don't always. See, I don't always hit the like button, but I see you constantly. The banter back and forth. You know. You know what that does is it really, it just makes you real, like authentic. Yeah. Like, oh, these are just, oh, this is like a regular guy, just like me. Like, oh, this is cool, you know? Uh, We're just so I really, normal people. We're just yeah. normal people. I love that about you guys online when you ran to I think there was one in particular about shirts being tucked in versus not tucked in or something, I think. And I was like, oh, I was loving that because at the age of 53, it's best for me not to tuck my shirt in anymore. <laughs> I think I remember your comment. It was some, Somebody made fun of me about snack too much but I don't know if that was you or that something. wasn't me about the snacking but I did say something about uh I was like do you guys do you guys tuck in their shirts anymore I don't know I don't <laughs> in, in Colorado it's super casual I mean seriously yeah. bro if you like if you see a guy downtown with his shirt tucked in with a tie on you're like well, are you going to a funeral or what's wrong with you like you seriously <laughs> yeah. which is great for me like I said it really fits my and of course with COVID happening and doing less uh, travel and less uh, walking around and things, I'm, I'm stuck at home more, which means I'm probably, I don't know, 10 pounds heavier from when we first talked. <laughs> totally. I'm there with you. Uh, but yeah, you guys do a great job. Really, really proud of what you're doing at Truman's awesome company. So yeah, we talked and I do remember you mentioning, yeah, you were, you're in the beginning stages. So talk to us. First, I'd like to know why, you know, let's go into the why, really, like, why, why write the book? What, what was, you know, and, and then how did it start? And kind of just walk us through some of that, if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, and, and, and look, you know, I think one of the reasons why you and I get along, and why a simple note back and forth just hits us and makes a lot of sense, you know, you help people find what they want to do. And you help organizations find those people and, and really make that marriage work in a great way. You know, for me, uh, I was a failed entrepreneur right at business school and I fell into GE. I went to business school, fell into it, fell into the cycle like so many people you work with, so many people you hear about. And you find yourself five years, 10 years later, and you look up and you want to make this contribution. And I think you know, we, we've clearly talked about that in the past, but what started hitting me was that other people, specifically our ancestors, took significant leaps. Mm-hmm. You know, take my grandmother as an example, left Belarus, went through Russia, went through Japan, ultimately made her way to the United States with nothing. And you think about the risk that it took, the courage that it took. And then we find ourselves in these well-paying corporate jobs Someone like you calls and says, I have an amazing opportunity for you to make a significant impact. And we don't have the courage to take a leap. Right. And, and by the way, that is sometimes the easy step. Now, I've taken bigger leaps. And I started by taking a single step. Because when you're tethered to a company like GE, it's hard to take steps and leaps. But That's right. That's ultimately, right. what I said is, look, when you start taking the steps, you can take more. And when you start taking more, you take bigger steps. And over time, you get more comfortable in it. And so I wrote a book to basically acknowledge my own fears, my own fears of taking a leap, talk about how I was able to overcome those fears, talk about how we as a global community need to think in a different way, 
be less tethered. You know, it's called the elephant's dilemma. And it's intentionally called that because when you think about an elephant and an elephant growing up in a circus, AKA the United States, yep. that elephant is trained to be tethered to a pole. When it grows big and strong, it doesn't know how to break free. Well, that's like us. So many of us just don't realize our own strength, our own power and our ability to, to break free and change the world. Agreed. I totally agree. By the way, the, the risks that you mentioned that our forefathers took, you know, so I live in Colorado, right? And so I go up to the mountains quite often camping. I like to, I like to do a lot of way back solo camping, I call it, so that I can just refresh and get away. It's a, it's a great opportunity for me to get away from the laptop, put the phone down, get out of range so, so I can't be reached. I can't look at my phone and I'm forced to just kind of be with nature for a little bit by myself. It's very uh, uh, healthy for me mentally, physically. Anyway, the point is often, often I will think, damn, like somebody had the balls to get in a covered wagon and come through here <laughs> and take all kinds of risks through the weather, through the wild animals, you know, I, you know, cause for me, like I go to my Jeep, I open my little ice chest, I get out my pre-cooked food that my wife made for me, you know, all these little things. And I really, and I was thinking about you in the book and about the risks that you mentioned. And I thought, man, this is right. This is exactly what John was talking about. Like we now in this world, we're super comfortable, just like the little padded air thing that I air up for the back of my Jeep to sleep on. Meanwhile, back then they're sleeping on the ground. Right. And we just take so much of that for granted. And they took so many risks that we just, we just forget about. I think we just, we just don't, we can't really, it's hard for us to even connect our brains to, to the risks they took. I'm really yeah. glad you, go ahead. And, and so much, well, I was going to say so much good came out of those leaps. That's right. And, that's right. and, and that's what we have the biggest risk related to is that as we take less as we take on less risk and we mm -hmm. refuse to leave our bubbles we can't innovate we can't think differently we find That's ourselves right. stuck and ultimately we look up and we wonder why things aren't working a certain way or we wonder why we're not making a bigger impact like we have a very short time um here and we right. should really maximize every chance we can in every moment of time to, to do good. That's right. I, I, I totally agree. Do, why, are, why are people afraid to break free, right? They're that, they're that young elephant. They get tethered to the pole, like you mentioned, and they don't, they, what, what, what are they afraid of? Why, why, why don't people break free sooner and take more risks? Yeah, I, I think we just get used to the world as it is. You know, we get used to putting on the same pair of pants every day, same color socks every day going through the routine and just being comfortable in that. Uh, and I think that we have ideas. We have those moments when we're driving to work, when we see a billboard, that billboard inspires us to do something and then we forget about it. The phone rings and, and we forget about that moment. Um, I, I think unfortunately right now, there are so many distractions in our world mm -hmm. and we, we, we're moving so fast and it's only gonna move faster, but we get stuck in the speed and the friction around us. And we forget, I think, that we can take a step back and ask ourselves what we really want to do and start taking actions to do it. Simply put, we get lost in that velocity and the friction of the world moving at an incredible pace. And instead of spending time thinking what could be next, we find ourselves scrolling through Facebook as we're laying in bed or looking at Twitter or 
watching a TV show and the next day we're racing to get going in the morning. And one thing after another, we've raced through three years of our lives. We need to pause, we need to take a step back and really, really think about what we wanna do and then actually take the step to do it. You know, it's interesting, uh, scrolling the Facebook you mentioned. So I challenged my wife on this the other day. I'm always bringing my wife up on these podcast episodes and then I get in trouble later. <laughs> but uh, she, you know, she's, she's looking at Facebook and she's getting annoyed because of the negative energy and the, the hate and just a lot of the stuff. Not the, I don't want to, I'm not bashing Facebook. I, it's just a lot of the stuff on there lately. It's just, it's just negative vibe, right? And she's getting irritated as she reads stuff. And I said, you know, I said, have you tried replacing those minutes that you're spending using your thumb scrolling through there and getting irritated and just trying something else? And, look, and so now when I see her sometimes on her phone, she has a, uh, a like a word game or something up that she's done. I don't even know the name of it, but she's got this like word puzzle game that she's she's doing. And I see her doing that a lot more now. Uh, to your point, to your point, check yourself. Like how how many minutes are you spending uh, I was going to say making yourself dumber, but that's kind of mean. So let me, I don't, I don't really mean to say that, <laughs> but, well, but I think, you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like how many minutes are you looking at life through the lens of others? Yes. Spending time reflecting on where you want to go. Right. You know, and, and, the, and, and, yeah. and Steve, what is, what is crazy? You know, you talk about going up to the mountain in Colorado and taking that time by yourself. Yeah. When I think back, to the incredible ideas and incredible moments, it's when I was on a car ride, or it's when I was standing in the shower, exhausted from a long day, and you're in a moment where you can focus, that's where the best ideas come from. It's not when you're hit with music going and action going around you and motion in front of you. You need those moments to actually reflect, but the most important thing is when you decide what you wanna do. You have to do it, right? You and so, so it's finding the time. It's, it's the sum of all of the parts. And then you need a partner who's going to support you in that journey. You know, as I read through your book, it, it really just kept telling me. And I think, I think people will read it and, and get, they'll, they'll take their favorite pieces from it, right? And there'll be certain things that speak to them individually from the book. And for, and for me, what I heard you say in the book many times over in several different ways you basically said, you know, look, you don't have to have this stagnant, boring life where you're not going to make a difference on the world and you're not going to leave a legacy. Like you can be different if you'll just step out of that, if you'll just step, step away from that, right? You talk a lot about, uh, a lot about that in the book. And, I, and I, as I read through it, I kept thinking, why do people, why are people scared? Why, why, why don't they take risks and, and do something different to to make a legacy for themselves while making the world a better place. Why, why is that? And I really thought a lot about that. And I often think about that here at RiderFlex because we, we interview people all day long, right? That's what we do for a living. And I'll talk to a person that just lost their job and they were a manager at whatever. And now they're trying to get another manager job and just go right back into what they were doing. And I'm thinking, what, why is that? I, I want to ask you this. I think my gut instinct tells me after managing and hiring people for 30 plus years, I think a lot of times it really is finance related. I think, I think people, so many people in this country are living check to check. I mean, I'm talking about executives, John, you know this, right? Yeah. Executive executives living, they've got themselves so leveraged, right? That they don't even have more than $5,000 in the bank. 
I mean, I read some crazy stat the other day where, where it was like a large, like the majority of the people in the United States couldn't handle a bill larger than uh, if a thousand dollar bill hit them unexpectedly, like some crazy percentage, like 70% of the country wouldn't be able to handle that. So anyway, my point is, as I read your book, I thought, well, I think people get trapped a little bit because they're scared and they've leveraged themselves financially so much that they're like, well, if I don't have this job, then, then I have to quit my bowling league. And then I my wife can't go to the nail salon. And we, what am I going to do about the pool guy? Then I'm going to have to cut the pool guy out. And then, and this is what they do in their heads. So they stay trapped. This is my, this is my thought. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think it's a great point. And I think one of the cases that I talk about in the book is my time at GE. And, and I refer to it as a very goofy period, but in the, in the real world, I was actually making a change. So I, I ran the product microwave right. group. And yep. what I mentioned in the book is that I felt the need to do something bigger and do something different. But Steve, you're right. I, I had bills to pay. I had a great paying job. The answer wasn't to leave and, and go take on a big risk. The answer was within the context of my role to take a leap. Mm, and so I actually drove innovation in the role that I was in. And so that's one of the key steps is you don't need to quit your job and do something radically different. The first step can be simply doing something different in your job, making a bigger impact at work, looking at what you do and saying, can it be done a different way? You know, one of the examples I always bring up is the gun industry. And I bring up the gun industry because it is so polarizing. But you can imagine, you can almost picture it, that there is an executive somewhere within a gun manufacturer who says, you know, I have an idea. What if you created a technology that if the gun was in the wrong hands and the gun was on a campus, the gun couldn't be fired because the technology realized where the gun was and realized who was behind it. It's a super abstract thought, but that's an example of someone in a role, in a gun manufacturer who may want to do something to prevent gun violence in schools rather than leaving their job, rather than leaving the company that they've spent their entire career working for. They could work inside that organization and say, let's reimagine the way this works. Let's solve this from the inside. And, and I bring it up because again, look, it's so easy to talk about my journey and the leaps that I took to ultimately become an entrepreneur. And, and that is risky and it's not for everyone. And it took me a lot, of, a lot of missteps and a lot of friction to get here. The bottom line is we can make an impact even without taking that huge leap. The ask is simply take a step, is mm -hmm. simply do something in Different. the right and, yeah. and in the right direction. Yeah. Don't you challenge them in the book to like, just, uh, what, what did you say? Red Sox and great. What'd you say? <laughs> analogy, you know, you wake up and you, and you put on the same socks every day. It's like, you know, when I went to GE uh, or when I was at GE, the funniest thing for me, as soon as it got a little cool, everyone put on these uh, sweater vests and, you know, and it's like, you get trained to do the exact right. same thing. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you just gotta. Every once in a while, if it's if it's cold outside, maybe wear a t-shirt and 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 be crazy. You know, that's kind of what you did with the cleaning company, right? I mean, you 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 were using the gun manufacturer example, but it's the same with cleaning. Like you, somebody 
somebody that make, I don't, who makes Windex? I don't even know what the parent company is. But well, I refer to them as the Windexians in my book. I mean, so, somebody, somebody could have went to a meeting and said, hey, why are we shipping 98% water? Like, that's right. dumb. Why are we doing? But nobody did. They didn't step outside their comfort zone, right? Well, I think organizationally, and look, I, I love the organizational strategy work that you do. And, and you know, you're always kind enough to provide us with, with thoughts and ideas on, on how we can structure our teams, which is just one of those values that I think your, your experience adds to, to what you do, obviously, <laughs> helping organizations think through talent. But, you know, the, the problem is most companies are filled with armchair quarterbacks. And I they talk are. about that. You do. You talk about That's right. It's, yep, it's about the people who they come up with the idea and then the room is filled with people who will, will all chime in on why it can't work and either why it's been done before or why some factory is optimized in some way. The, the bottom line is anything can work. You actually have to try and give it effort and you have to try to actually uh, make it work. And frankly, you need people around you in an organization that organization needs to be set up to be effective to be kind to be supportive of driving innovation mm -hmm. and don't just come to don't don't just do the meeting after the meeting be That's in the fun. meeting and speak up in the meeting right you talk about that monday morning quarterbacking you know my my youngest boy was was a high school quarterback a hundred times better athlete than i ever was but anyway there was, I don't know if I said, told you this story on our last podcast, but there was one time and I'd always try to give him some coaching afterwards. Like I knew what the hell I was doing when I really didn't. And he, he was saying something that he had a bad game or whatever. And I was like, well, why, you know, when, when this happens and that one guy comes around and does this, you know, what you really should do is he's like, he's like, dad, he's like, are you on the field? He goes, have you ever had a 250 pound guy chasing you on the field as a quarterback? And I said, no. And he goes, okay, well, <laughs> Absolutely. The point there is, you know, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, if you're in one of these big companies, you can make a difference, but you got to participate and you got to speak up and you got to do it in the meeting, not behind closed doors, not in the meeting after the meeting, you know, step into it. Right. Just a little bit. That's right. I, I, I think that, I think that's so important. Um, you're right. You don't have to quit your job. Right. I, I guess I'm always going that direction because I interview a lot of entrepreneurs that had the balls to start their own thing and quit their job. You don't necessarily have to do that. But I can almost bet that everybody listening to this podcast wants to do something a little bit different. You want to, even if you don't want to start a company, there's probably something you want to help with. There's, there's something that you're being challenged internally, emotionally to make a difference somewhere. Uh, and I would encourage you to just start to your point in the book, just start, just start doing something a little bit different right. because, because when you die, your headstone's not going to say best accountant at ABC company ever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, what, what is your real legacy going to be? What, what is your real legacy going to be, going to be which you push everybody on that in the book? I yeah. Think. Well, and, and Steve, one other, you know, concept to help people think about what idea makes the most sense is to really think about the community around you. So yes. think outside of your house, your neighborhood, your city, your state, your country, think of it as, as one entity and think about the problems that that community is facing. I think sometimes people, and people ask me all the time, how do I figure out what I want to do and, and what impact I want to make? And what I always say is that, look, oftentimes we as parents think that we're doing great by simply providing for our kids. And by the way, if we've got college paid for, then we've really hit a home run, right? 
But the bottom line is that even if we have our kids' college paid for, and even if we're lucky enough to help that child with a down payment on their first house, and all these things are magical and we're thinking we're living the American dream, if the neighborhood in which that child buys their first home is riddled with gun violence and drug abuse and disease and homelessness, then the world around them is not healthy. And ultimately it's gonna negatively impact their outcome. And so what we have to think about is winning and success is not insulated to our little bubble and our little right. ecosystem. Right. And so oftentimes what I suggest is picking an issue that actually impacts our community. And when you think about what you can do, you can almost find an impact in every major category that exists in the world. You know, if you're in hotels, look at underused capacity and try to solve homelessness. If you work for an airline, think about a different way of moving goods from A to B for underserved communities. I, you know, there, no matter what sector you're in, no matter what job you're in, most likely your role impacts something that relates mm. to the greater good and you should be able to connect those dots in a meaningful way. Don't let the goal of helping the greater good be stopped by your judgment either. And here's what, here's what I mean by that. I was thinking about you today when I did my, my dog's name is Ryder for Ryder Flex. When, uh, when Ryder and I went around the block today, we did our little normal, uh, we'll eat lunch together and then we do our little walk so we can try to burn off some calories. I was thinking about the interview and I purposely went to a neighborhood that's not mine. Okay. Cause I, cause I was, you know, in the book, you're like, Hey, the little, uh, what, what do you call them? Mick, Mick, Mick neighborhoods. Right. Mm -hmm. So I purposely drove over to a neighborhood and forced myself to take a different view. And this is what I found myself doing. Very interesting. Is that I think it ties a little bit to your book. I was walking through the neighborhood, which is a, which is a, a, a lower income neighborhood. Not mm -hmm. that I'm rich. I don't want that to come out the wrong way, but, and I'm walking my mind immediately starts making judgment on the homes. I start thinking, look at that guy's yard. Like he can't, he can't mow that grass. Like, come on, you, you can do it. Look at that guy's patio. That needs to be painted. I can't believe that he's letting I do that. Look at that fence. That fence over there is falling down. Like, come on, man, you got to fix that fence. And this is the immediate judgments. I'm in my mind as I'm walking and I'm looking. And I really got to thinking like, wow, isn't that easy for me to make that judgment and, and immediately go negative when maybe, there's a retired senior in that house that's on oxygen that can't get outside and doesn't have the money to pay anybody to fix that fence. Mm -hmm. And so many other things like that could be at play. Maybe there's somebody inside that is, I don't know, strapped up to a heroin needle and, and, and needs help because they're a drug addict. I don't know, but there, but there's, a, there's, there's ways that you can make a difference if you'll get out of your own judgments way. Don't be so quick to judge when you're deciding where you're going to make a, a difference. And I think people do that. I think, I think people, they, they, they rush to judgment on things so that they don't help uh, where they should be helping. And I, that was what happened to me today. And then I got back and I was like, damn, this is the stuff John's talking about in his book. So I gotta, I gotta do better. <laughs> yeah, no, look. And, and I think that the, the bottom line of it all is that that's going to exist. And, you know, th there, there will be diversity of income and, you know, there will always be challenges, but you hit it and you hit it really well. We have to be okay with, with the world around us and we 
have to understand that, you know, people are doing the best they can. We've got to put systems in place to ultimately support them. I, you know, it's, it's really hard to find someone who intentionally doesn't want to do good. And so oftentimes, oftentimes right. when you see that house with a broken fence, when you see that house, you know, with, with a lawn that's not mowed, you know, ultimately what that means is someone needs a little bit of help. And, right. you know, we, we are not better because we may have a, a lawn that's mowed, you know, and that's I think right. the, the craziest thing in all of this is that, you know, you take these neighborhoods that look beautiful and you take these neighborhoods that look beat up and at the end of the month, they have no money because to your earlier point, <laughs> everyone's spending what they make. And so, you know, we really live in this kind of strange time. And what I, I love so much about you talking about walking through that neighborhood is that we need to do a better job looking at the world around us and realize yes. we can't just live in a bubble. And here's, here's the bottom line. And here's what I want to come across. When, when people talk, a lot of times they think I'm coming from a political agenda. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The reality is I'm coming from an agenda driven by capitalism. And here's what I mean. If you want to sell products and you want consumer spending to increase, then we need a very strong U.S. economy. Bingo. If you want to sell products to people in the U.S., if you want to be able to employ people in the U.S., then you need a very robust environment. And so we need people to be able to afford goods. We need people to be in the right mindset to come to work and perform every day. We need to have the strongest labor market in the world. This battle cry is not about looking at the global community and doing good for some liberal agenda. This is driven by capitalism. This is about if we are going to create an economy that supports growth and allows our kids' kids to innovate, it needs to be strong. It cannot be riddled with all these issues that we have today. And I think that's a, that's a very important part too, because when you walk through those neighborhoods, that is opportunity. It's opportunity to improve that's right. that's and it's right. opportunity to, to lift up the, the country. That's right. And by the way, I want, cause if they are improved, that's more people I can place in jobs when companies hire us. So <laughs> perfect example. Yeah, perfect example. Yeah. You do a great job in the book, by the way, of staying away from, you know, it's, it, I didn't read the book at all thinking there was a political agenda, you know, so kudos there. I, I didn't get that sense at all. I mean, it really was, very genuine and authentic to say, Hey, let's, let's, here are some things you can do to make a difference, not only for the world around you, but for your own career and your own legacy. And don't be afraid to step out. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't get the political piece at all. One other thing about the judgment piece I wanted to, I wanted to mention here on the podcast is like you said, most people want to do good. I, I truly believe most people are inherently good. I know that we, we watch all these cop shows and these movies on TV, you know, and it, 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 I think we're poisoned a little bit to think, oh, there's a lot of bad people out there. Uh, actually, the vast majority of people are good and they want to do good. I, and I really believe that. I could give you several mountain stories, mountain camping stories on that where, where people have stopped and helped me when I've been in trouble. But my point is, I think, I think the vast majority of people want to help and I think they're good. I think they also get in their way, they get in their own way again through social media. And where I'm going with this is they, they, think, they think they're helping by voicing an opinion on social media about whatever the topic is. They're like, okay, here's topic A, and every, you know, half the people feel this way and half the people feel this way, and I'm gonna voice my opinion and be angry about it. Okay, 
I made the world a better place because I, I voiced my opinion on, 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 on decision or on topic A, and that just makes them feel better. And I want to just tell all the listeners right now listening to this episode, I don't think that does anything. <laughs> if you really want to help people make a physical, tangible difference, just voicing your opinion on social media about whatever the topic of the day is, that ain't helping. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll share a, a story on that because I think it's important. And it's one of the first times we've, as a company, uh, talked about this to anyone outside of the company. And so I'll share it with you, but I think it's, it's the right moment. And, and, you know, we are based in Louisville, Kentucky. I live in New Orleans, but the company is based in Louisville, Kentucky. And we recently had a lot of protests in the city. And uh -huh, we as a right. company met and, and said, how should we think about this? How should we react? And here's what we decided. And I think it ties to what you're talking about. We said, look, we're going to measure ourselves by the actions we take. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look back at this moment in time and say, did we change? And so a year from now, if we look back and see that we've made changes based on the things that were said or done, then that's doing good. But if, exactly. to, your point, to your point, if we simply participate in some social media campaign for if one day and then never make a change, exactly. then that doesn't ultimately create impact. And so it doesn't. It doesn't. We, made yep. corporate, we made a corporate decision to say, look, the action is changing. And then the action is measuring ourselves a year from now and looking back. And if we totally haven't different. done things different. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, look, it's, it's and, and I find myself sometimes, you know, hearing something or seeing something for me, I, I, I get frustrated oftentimes by governance, you know, and, and, holding CEOs accountable versus politicians accountable. And I love to compare and contrast that. But the bottom line is, um, you know, I'm personally not going to get into politics, so I won't be able to solve it. But, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate when people want to voice their opinions, but I agree with you that taking action. Take action. <laughs> yeah, take action. Don't just voice. I, I totally agree. Um, so let me ask you a couple of things here about writing a book. Yeah. There's probably people listening to this thinking, I want to write a book. I, I want to write a book. In fact, I, I, for our RiderFlex podcast, we have like over 300 career tips and job interviewing tips. And I've had people approach us and say, oh, you ought to turn those into a book. And I'm like, okay. It would well, be great, actually. I, I, I'm, thinking, I'm always thinking, A, I don't have time, and B, how much does that cost? Right. <laughs> I thought about you, and, I'm, and I thought to myself, here's a guy, because he's got a, you got a nine or 10-year-old son, I believe. One boy, is that right? Yeah, one, no, I've got a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh, okay. You have two kids, yeah. wife and two kids, plus you're running a startup company. And then you're yeah. like, you're like, Oh, you know, I think I'll write a book in my spare time. <laughs> so my point is, can you talk a little bit about how let's just for, for the, you know, layman's terms, how to even, how to even get started on writing a book and maybe talk about a little bit of the cost or whatever you're comfortable with there. If you don't mind, go ahead. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's, it's a commitment and it's not something that, you know, we talk about starts and stops in your career. You know, I think when you make the, the decision to do it, it's, it's a tough one. And I was talking to um, someone who works for the publishing team before and, and, and what the best advice they gave was you have to open yourself up in a way that if the book is going to be authentic, you, you've, you've got to get in the right mindset for it. And so really before 
I even kind of agreed mentally to do it. I had to get in the right mindset because, you know, the reality is no matter what type of book you're writing, you're putting your ideas, your thoughts on paper, and it will live externally forever. <laughs> and point. so the, the bottom line is the first step, the very first step is getting mentally prepared and getting your thoughts in order. And one of the very first things I did was reached out to some friends from childhood and kind of reminded myself about, you know, the, the foundation, the way I was raised and kind of spent a lot of time up front. And so, you know, I, I can't stress enough getting in the right mindset. There, there absolutely is the tactical, like, do you have the time to do it? Um, do you have the focus to do it? How do you carve out time? For me, I had to block hours out in my, my calendar that okay. were devoted okay. to book time, uninterrupted book time. Um, okay. And where it was, it was typically blocked out where um, now I work from home most days. So it was blocked out where there was no one else in the house. It was very quiet. But even before you get to those tactical steps, even before you get to the marketing steps of how do you amp it and how do you come up with all the creative concepts, there is a, a, a mental just commitment that you have to make. And I, mm -hmm. I'd say for me, that was the biggest, the okay. biggest hurdle was just the, you know, we talked about earlier, we talked about taking leaps, taking steps. It really, it, it is unlike anything you'll ever do because it's a commitment. It's a commitment to a process and then the world sees it. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these layers of acceptance that you have to go through and willingness to, to really be vulnerable. Did you have a ghostwriter on the deal or did you write it yourself? How'd you do that? Yeah, so there was, a, there was a publishing team that certainly helped with editing and content. And, you know, what I think is the most amazing thing, and I, by the way, highly recommend working with a team that has great okay. editors. Okay. Because, you know, certainly I did a lot of the heavy lifting, but I can tell you, like, editing is not something I'm good at. And there are multiple layers of editors. And one of the things I learned, Steve, which is, which is amazing, is you know, when you think about multiple layers of editing, my wife actually served as one of the editors. And oh, cool. Yeah, and one of the reasons why was because, you know, I, I feel like she does a really great job at understanding what I'm trying to say and, and kind of connecting the dots in a way that, that most people understand. So she helped there. Then we had an editor who really helped kind of clean up some of my language. Um, and then um, there was a contextual editor. And, and that's fascinating because effectively they look at chapters and frameworks and make sure they're tied together. And so it really, it, it, it's much more of a team effort mm -hmm. than you could ever imagine um, or, or that I would have ever imagined. And, and then, you know, then you get to a phase of layout and design. And, you know, one of the unique things about the book is we've got an illustrator at Truman's and I chose to have that illustrator illustrate some things in the book. Which are, which, are, which are great, by the way. Yeah, great. it's super cool and super unique. And so, you know, again, it's part of that authenticity and telling a story. But it is a huge, it's a huge process and undertaking. I'd say it's more work than I thought it was going to be. Um, it has been incredibly rewarding. But it... it, uh, it how, did you, how did you choose Lioncrest Publishing? Um, they're, they're a phenomenal, so they're based out of Austin, Austin, Texas. They work with a lot of business people. They're very familiar with people who are not writers. So I I'm see. not, I'm not a writer. And I one see. of their strengths is that they're really, whatever your skill set is, they're able to adapt. So if you need a lot of help, they're able, if, if you need a little bit of help, you know, I've talked to some, I, I talked to a lot of authors doing it 
I talked to some that didn't go through that many layers of editing because they're a much better writer. And, and so, you know, the, really um, it, it, what I appreciated was the flexibility and just having worked with a lot of business people like me, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a trained writer. And, well, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I was trying to get my message across, uh, needed a lot of help, heavy lifting and, you know, really didn't know anything about the process and they're willing to, to, to hold your hand through it. How long did it take from the time you started it until it, till it got on Amazon? What was that? Yeah. So we started, um, the, the process of, of kind of thinking through how does this even work, um, in November. And I would say the last edit I saw was the second week of March. That's pretty and quick. Then, That's and then pretty the quick. Book, Good for book, you. The book launched in August. A ton of work, though. I mean, if you look, yeah. mm. if you look at the hours, you know, a lot of a lot of chunks of time um, that were devoted to it, which obviously means then, you know, you're pushing emails off to a later date. So there's a lot of very very long days and a lot a, a ton of effort. And you know, even the even the editing phase, which I thought was going to be easy for me because I wasn't editing it, you're you're still man hours from my side are devoted to that um, because, you know, they're not on their own. They're looking for guidance and, and they have questions about why I said a certain thing in a certain way. And so can I ask, can I, can I ask this, is this a fair question? I don't know if this is going to be uncomfortable, but you know, because we have a podcast and I do, I do these interviews with guests that does technically take me away from writer flex, the recruiting firm, where I could be either looking at further profiles, interviewing candidates, helping Scott, my partner, Scott, close some more contracts. So, you know, it would be fair, I guess, if one of my people called me and said, Hey, you know, you could have spent those two hours on, on sales today, but meanwhile, you interviewed another pod guest for the podcast. Um, did that come up? Did that come up with you and your team? Did Alex call you and be like, Hey bro, uh, I need some help over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sadly we work 24 seven. Um, okay. Okay. No, it's, uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I think the challenge just with, with a startup is we work all the time. Um, yeah, right. fact, I, talk, I talk to Alex seven days a week. Um, we yeah. talk, um, I would say on average three to four times a day during the week and then probably one to two times a day on the weekend. So, um, it was manageable. It was manageable. How about your wife? Was your wife like, Hey, I need help with the kids. <laughs> uh, you know, here, here's, here's, I think the, the thing that she loves about, about, um, I am a type triple A. Yeah. I, so, I noticed that. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I oftentimes, you know, work when I'm dropping the kids off. Um, you know, I, I love to cook. I'll be doing conference calls while cooking. Um, cool. I, I, I just, look, I try to be present and, and I try to be there for the family, but, um, you know, let me, I, let me, let me, let me put it this, let me put it this way, folks. John is not spending a lot of mind numbing minutes scrolling Facebook with his thumb, looking at dumb shit. Okay. No. So there you go. If you're wondering, if you're wondering, well, how do you find the time to do that? Well, first thing you can do is take your stuff, take, take, get away from things that are making you dumber. Right. And just yeah, be productive. I mean, Steve, it, it is actually amazing when you think about it because you, know, you ask the question about hours in a day and what, what's really amazing is, you know, when, when you think about my work day and this isn't for everyone, but when you, when you have a startup, things are happening 24 seven. So there really technically isn't a work day yet. 
because most of us think about the workday being somewhat formal, we can't imagine filling stuff into our schedule. The reality is we have a lot of hours in a day. You really we, do. Have, we have so much time to be productive. And if people actually schedule blocks of time and force themselves to create value within those blocks of times, you won't lose hours scrolling Facebook or scrolling Twitter or getting lost in a TV show. And look, right. some of those things are enjoyable. Like there are times where I cuddle up with my, one of my sons and watch a movie but then I try to find something that's, that's very productive to do after, or we may go on a bike ride and then there's, there's productive time after. What I really try to avoid are just the mindless wasted time where. So you know, easy to do. So easy to do. So easy to do these days. I mean, 240 stations on TV and seven apps on your phone. And you're right. If you just monitor some of those minutes, uh, there, there is a lot of time and you've been very productive doing it. Kudos to, to, well, thank to you. you know, to be able to manage all of that. Um, so the book has been out, by the way, the book's available on Amazon. Uh, the elephant's right. dilemma, the elephant's dilemma, break free and reimagine your future at work by John Bostock. You can buy it at Amazon and where else? Uh, I think it's Target and Barnes and Noble. It's 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 out there. Um, okay. If Barnes and Noble is even a thing, I know I did a Google search and it's it's available pretty widely. Um, I I oftentimes just recommend going to Amazon. It's the easiest yeah. um, platform. It's the fastest. But I do know that I've had some friends text me and say, "Wow, it's available here," and I didn't know that that's how. It <laughs> <is>. <laughs> uh, yeah, very good. By the way. The very first thing I did, speaking of using your minutes wisely, my way of reading quite often is I'll, I'll get it on Audible and listen to it either while I'm on the treadmill in the morning or when I'm doing my walk around the block. So the very first thing I did is go, okay, well, I'm going to listen to this book the next couple of days during my walk. And I'm like, damn, it's not available on audio. And I thought, John has a great voice. John is great. Oh, and inter no, I'm serious, bro. No, I'm not just saying that. Like, you should do it on, is that on the list? Because if it's not, you need to do it on Audible. Because so you'd yeah, be great. I don't, I don't, I, I'll have to ask the team. I have no idea how oh. to do that. But I think my voice would be goofy, I, I guess. No, I no, 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 no. You're super inspirational. You're so authentic, man. You're, you're real when you talk. And that's what it would be great about it. I, I was, I, not, not to give you a bunch of shit about it, but I was disappointed. I'm like, damn it, this is not available on audio. <laughs> well, hey, I did that author hour podcast. So that's, that's, that's cool. right. That's right. By the way, you can listen to John, John there as well. Author Hour podcast. Great interview yeah. there as well. Um, yeah, so you should think about doing it in audio. But okay, my friend, uh, you know, the book is awesome. Uh, it's a great read for people. And you know, if you want to leave them with a, you want to leave the audience with a, another summary sentence or two of, you know, if you were just going to give us the, let me just give you a two minute, nice, quick overview one more time about, you know, about the book, go for it. Yeah, well, look, I'd, I'd actually say it in terms of your listeners. I think there's, there's two parts. You know, one is for the entrepreneurs who work with you to find the right candidates. It's, it's actually pick up the phone and, and find it. You know, being a founder of a company, yeah. it's always important to establish the pipeline of talent. And so on the one hand, you know, as I think about the relevancy of the book and taking leaps for a lot of the founders you talk to, that's yeah. one part. The other part is if you feel stuck in your role, reach out to an expert and, mm -hmm. and look, you know, I, I, I'd volunteer that, that I can provide some guidance, although with, with my schedule, it'd probably be quick, but, you know, call someone like Steve. I think 
finding those career mentors who can help you yes. figure out what are some steps that you can take. And, and look, every single one of us has permission to take a leap. Every single one of us has permission to do something different. We just need the courage to, to do it. And so look, surround yourself by those who will support you. Steve, you, one of the reasons why I get along and, and love doing these is because you are that inspirational voice. You're, you're someone I know that if I've got a question on thinking through how we're going to set up the team, I can ping you. I know that you're always there, right? Even though we've just gotten to know each other over the last yeah. year, I know that when we have a challenge as it relates to organization, you, you can be someone that I, I can ping and I wouldn't even have to worry about negative feedback. And so, right. you know, I, I think it's, that's what I would leave you with is, is the book is a battle cry, but for your listeners, there's something really important here to say, take some action today. Yes. And if you're questioning what you're doing, if you're thinking about making a new hire, actually take the step and, and think about it. Life is, life is way too short to stay in a job that you hate or to keep employees that are poison. So yes, <laughs> make, make changes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, awesome as always, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex show. Loved it. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.